1: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Shhh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply.
0: At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish Sussman, every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever
4: you get your podcast. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Darren. Oh, yeah?
4: <laughs> you know what's ridiculous?
1: Why are we whispering? I don't know. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I do know what's ridiculous, Elizabeth. What is it? Okay, the other day I learned about a new sport. Okay. This sport I'd never heard of. I doubt you've ever heard of it. I don't know, maybe. You get around. It's called worm charming. Yeah. I've not heard. Well, it's, I've heard of it. <laughs> not that sport. It's It takes place in England, uh-huh. and the goal is for competitors. They, okay, I'll just lay it this way. They're given a plot of Earth. It's three meters by three meters, and they're allowed to use a couple different implements to try to get worms to emerge from the earth they're allowed to use a garden fork you know like those three finger things a piece of wood if they want they can have a source for music or sound like a boom box or something and uh the judges they start the timer they go you got 30 minutes right and then the goal is to charm as many worms as they can to crawl up out of the dirt and present themselves on the surface right there's only one rule no digging right Now, the idea is that, uh, you know, you can use various techniques to create vibration. That's what all the sound stuff is for, the wood and everything. And then the vibrations drive the worms insane. And they have to, like, like, stop beating on that two by four and they crawl out of the earth. Right Now, if you can guess, how many do you think is the world record for worms charmed out of the English soil in 30 minutes time?
2: How many do they put in each bin?
1: It's a three meter by three meter plot. And it's just thick with them? No, it's just normal earth. They don't put they don't put any your own thing. Oh, in. it's not like just in a whatever. box somewhere. It's no, just, no.
2: Oh gosh, I don't know. Forty five,
1: five hundred and eleven. Ah, oh, that's creepy. <laughs> in thirty minutes, just coming out of the earth. And the only rule is no digging. You know how like that's that's multiple. Can I worms turn a hose a on it? You know, just because they all come up after. It yeah, rains. exactly. So that <sighs> that record, by the way, set in nineteen eighty. So it's out there if you want to break it. All right, I'll get to it. Ridiculous, mm, huh? That is really ridiculous.
2: Again, <laughs> I, I kind of want to know how it came about, and then I kind of don't.
1: I do. It's England. That's how it came about.
2: <laughs> well, speaking of England. Oh, you that's got some for me? Yeah. Um, you know what else is ridiculous aside from worm charming? Um, a couple things. Yeah. Label one on me. 15 dudes stealing a train. Yeah. Mm. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. You damn right. <laughs> we have a pretty cool theme song, right? Oh, my God.
1: It's the best. I love it. Trav killed it.
2: Yeah. It totally fits the show somehow. Um what would you say is your favorite TV theme song? Speaking of theme songs, with my clumsy segues. My today.
1: favorite TV themes. Uh I mean, just offhand, I, I love Rockford Files. I mean, that's probably one of my ultimate favorites. Mm-hmm. I love the weird jangly northern exposure just because it makes me happy when I hear it. Oh, okay. Um, there's other ones. I mean, like, you know, Peter Gunn theme was a classic. I never watched it, but I've, I've heard the song a bunch. So uh-huh. And I think that's a really cool one. Uh, I'd probably say, I don't know. Let's go with the uh, Rockford Files being my favorite.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I like Boardwalk Empire. I don't know that one. It's a jangly. Oh,
1: really? It's like piano.
2: No, it's a electric guitar. Oh, Boardwalk Empire. Anachronistic. Huh. Yeah, I wouldn't expect that. It's a good song. Huh. Um, it's uh, no lyrics, instrumental. They call it. Ah,
1: just the way you'd like it.
2: <laughs> well. There are a lot of robberies on Boardwalk Empire. Nice segue. <laughs> I'm working on all my news segues right now.
1: <laughs> They're spanking sharp and clean.
2: Um, speaking of robberies, <laughs> I'm going to tell you today about a robbery, man. Um, I'm, I'm into it. Woman. But here, here's the thing: if it were not for this particular robbery, mm-hmm. we likely wouldn't have had one of the greatest TV theme songs ever written.
1: How so? I'm going to tell you. Oh.
2: We'll get to that later. I'm buckled up. Let's talk crime first. All right. Hit me with it. You like crime, right? You ever heard of it? It's when someone breaks the law. Uh, let's talk robbery. <laughs> um, you've told me about train robberies before, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Billy Miner.
2: Yeah, exactly. Billy Miner robbing trains in the Old West. My dude. Um so, what, but when we hear about train robberies, we like, we think of the old West.
1: Yeah, I tell you, like the James Gang and people on horses mm-hmm. with rifles and like, pull off that train. Exactly.
2: Yeehaw. The train robbery I want to tell you about today happened in 1963.
1: Oh, wow. And
2: it happened in the United Kingdom. I in this. I am just breaking all sorts of stereotypes when it comes
1: <laughs> to train robberies. So so, this, were horses involved?
2: Uh, Steel horses. Steel horse I ride. (laughs) (laughs) All this. Okay. So it went down in 1963. Okay. There used to be this train service called the Traveling Post Office. So mail would be put on a, a train at one end of the country and sent toward London.
1: So, okay, wait a minute. A traveling post stop. It makes it sound like it stops, and I can go get some stamps if it comes to Brockhampton or whatever. Close. Like close. So oh, it really? Is like well, that? Well,
2: it's kind. No, it doesn't stop. Um, that's so one of the cool it's a mail things. train. Why well, do they call Well, no, it a- but it's not okay. So check this out. So the mail gets put on the train at one end of the country, like not all the way up to John Groats
1: north, but like Edinburgh. I'm going to pretend Glasgow. like I know what that is. <laughs> so that's the northernmost point. Is that past Northumbria? On Umbria? the island? Oh, the northernmost point on the island. We're including Scotland, right? Yeah. Okay. UK, yeah. not England.
2: And then the, the southernmost is Penzance, where the, oh, pirates, the pirates are pirates. from.
1: pirates. <laughs> yes.
2: So they, but they wouldn't take it all the way that. That's far a real north. place. I
1: didn't know that.
2: Yeah, hmm. um, they would go up to like Aberdeen. Is the northernmost point of this, and they would load up with mail, and then they'd head to London or south up. But Um,
1: are all of Australia's towns named after towns in England? I mean, there's like not a a single new one. It's It's like
2: where they got kicked out of. They I I
1: know everything. They're like, oh, this is Aberdeen. Like you could have come up with any name. Um,
2: So. They, they load it up, right? And it's a long distance that they have to go. The train is full of postal workers who are sorting the mail for delivery along the
1: route. Oh, that's clever. Yeah,
2: so, they and they're picking up mail as they go. So as they pass through these collection points, they would toss out their bags of mail to be delivered to that point. And then they also had, like, big nets where they would grab these mail yeah. bags hung from hooks. So the train didn't have to stop. It would just, like, that's slow down dope. enough. A
1: rolling sorting zone. Yeah,
2: exactly. And so, so they grab the mail and then they get that and they start sorting it where it has to go, um, and the staff in the train just like kept sorting constantly as they as they rolled on. In 1963, there were 49 of these
1: trains being used. So this is like a predominant amount of their mail services going this way? I
2: think so. I mean, Hmm. because like think about how we get mail. If we look at it like the islands the size of the state of California,
1: kind of. Yeah, and also the fact that like we fly our mail across country and they would just take a train because they use trains for most of their transport. That makes sense. It's a beautiful
2: infrastructure they have. So some of the cars would be attached to passenger trains, but most were just dedicated postal trains okay, um, and so like I said they went between Aberdeen and Scotland and London or Penzance up um, and so on these trains the second and third cars were always special
1: oh, so listen to like steady up music yeah like the they, it
2: was full of the spe- that's how they got their start in yeah. their name these were called HVP cars that's high-value packets.
1: Oh, I had no chance not, of guessing of not that one.
2: Not HPV cars carrying human papillomavirus. <laughs> human papillomavirus? <laughs> <laughs> no, HVP. <laughs> that was not how they spread that across
1: the country. I'm just going to give you that one.
2: High-value packets. Mm-hmm. Um, packet man. So <laughs> this is where registered mail... And then most importantly, a lot of cash,
1: those were kept. I'm listening.
2: So normally there'd be about 300,000 pounds sterling in that carriage.
1: And in the 60s, that's a ton, right?
2: Yeah, well, it's like 7 million pounds sterling today. So 7 million bucks rolling on down the tracks. And get me a nice flat. Yeah, nothing to sniff at. In 1963, uh, a postal security officer who was like pretty high up, he tells a lawyer or what they're calling a solicitor's clerk, or as they would say... Solicitors Clark,
1: Clark, really? Yeah,
2: they do, isn't that? Yeah,
1: and they invented the language. Yeah, huh. they
2: did. So we're we're not doing it right. Um, <laughs> see, he's like, look, I got a line on a heist.
1: Wait, the, check me out. The barrister, lawyer, no, solicitor. No, no. The
2: security officer for the post office goes and finds a lawyer, and I'm oh. like, hey, look at me. Why a lawyer? Well, he's not. He's kind <laughs> he's of not a good
1: at this. Crooked
2: lawyer. <laughs> so the lawyer turns around and it's like, hey. I know a guy who has a heist. Who I've got does, some clients. Yeah, he's got two criminal clients. Oh, for real? Yeah. Goody I was kidding. Gordon Goody. <laughs> he goes to his own clients. Oh, yeah. I got a lead, boys. Gordon Goody and Buster Edwards.
1: Ah, nice. Gordon and Buster. Gordon and
2: Buster. So he's like, psst, Gordon, Buster. I got a cat at the postal service, says he knows he knows
1: how to do a good heist. Gordon, tall, blonde fella. They're like, is this better than your last idea? You guys should start a restaurant together? Yeah. <laughs> It's a tax write-off. Gordon and Buster's—I don't know, man. Gordon, Gordon, sorry.
2: (laughs) Gordon is like super into criming, Mm -hmm. and he got he got you know into it at a young age. He joined Buster's gang.
1: Okay, (laughs) I don't know why Buster's. gang I know it sounds
2: like a '40s Gordon joined Buster's
1: gang. So
2: Buster, he's the son of a bartender, and he used to work in a sausage factory. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that means he's like deep into post-war
1: black market stuff. Yeah, he's a meat packer on the dirty.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, don't forget, <laughs> UK
1: <laughs> UK
2: rations were in place until
1: 1954.
2: Wow. Yeah. So. During the war, this whole black market economy comes up and oh, actually yeah. is driving. So if you want, like,
1: chocolate ec- butter, you got Oh, gotta-
2: yeah, anything. And so that, you know, that continues on during rationing, and then it just, like, keeps up, and it kind of merges in nicely with the pre-existing criminal black market that was, was already there. This so,
1: kind of explains those uh, 60s British rock bands' love of American stuff. Like, they didn't have anything. It was the deprivation. No. They're like, oh, my God, I want some Blue Jeans. Right, I want exactly. some rock and roll music.
2: Exactly. So, in summary, Buster's a career criminal. I, I like it. Now, the security officer, he is known only as the Ulsterman. Ooh. His identity remained a mystery for half a century. Really? The Ulsterman. He knew which trains would be where and when. And he also knew that the Postal Service had sort of like beefed up security for the HVPs uh-huh. um, after there had been like a couple robbery attempts. Okay. So, uh, another thing that he knew, he knew a lot. He's Ulsterman. The Ulsterman. Yeah, he knew that some of the train cars didn't have that beefed up security.
1: By the way, is Ulsterman like a job title? I only know Ulster as a place.
2: It's he's from Ulster. Oh, he's okay, from so he's the Ulster the man. Six, okay, yeah. I just
1: wanted to get that clarified. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Um. And so he knew which cars weren't tricked out mm-hmm. and when they'd be used. So his Good heist idea. Yeah. His heist idea goes like this. So as I said, HVP cars they normally carry around three hundred grand. Um. After bank holidays, it's a lot more because it's a long weekend, people yeah. are spending their money, how much more I can see in your eyes.
1: I was wondering, Could yeah. you see the numbers?
2: Somewhere between two and three million pounds.
1: Whoa. Yeah. Ten, then, ten times as much? Then, just because of a holiday weekend? Yeah. That's wild.
2: And then in 1963, that's the same as 58 million pounds today. And that's like 65 million bucks, dollars, American dollars. I'll take it. That's a lot. Hot damn. <laughs> right? So Gordon and Buster, they're like, you know what? That
1: sounds like a good heist. Forget the restaurant business. Help
2: me in. I, You know, Gordon and Buster's can wait. <laughs> we just, we got to do this. They they had the bona fides. They're criminals. Mm-hmm. They're part of the Southwest Gang, which is a London crime syndicate. Ah, okay. But they're like, we need a much bigger crew for this. This is a big job. going to take a big crew. It's oh, going to yeah. take a big boy to swing this back. Yeah, bat. you need
1: some Guy Ritchie dudes.
2: Yeah. So they go to recruit. They call in Bruce Reynolds and Charlie Wilson. Bruce sort of becomes the leader of the group. He's well-known. He's a successful criminal. But you know what? He doesn't know anything about robbing no train. So, huh. So he's just like, I, Charlie Wilson, the other guy, he's known as the silent man. He's a dangerous guy, a bad man. That's
1: what they say about the silent ones.
2: hmm So they got those two in place. They locked them in. The next batch that they pick up were members of the
1: South Coast Raiders I love these names.
2: That sounds like, like a weekend warrior motorcycle club. that Sounds ride. like a
1: girls' soccer team that my sister played <laughs> on. No, it
2: sounds like they ride Harley Fat Boys and wear like brand new leather vests. Yeah. And the, South and the balding ones wear bandanas folded all tight over the tops of their heads. <laughs> Everyone's sweaty. Everyone's wearing white Kirkland 11s. You see this? <laughs> oh, you completely. You see this? They like stop for beers and they stand by their bikes. They got their fingers hitched yeah. in their belt loops. They're waiting for their lunch table. They're gonna order jalapeno poppers, like hands <laughs> down. One's gonna order chicken fingers. There's another who's like, I'll take a salad, because his cardiologist. They wanna in talk to face. some
1: young guy. Hey, what you riding? Totally.
2: That's <laughs> the South Coast Raiders. Yeah, totally. But it's you. actually just kidding, it's an English gang in the sixties. So they had actual train robbers in their in their crew. Okay. <laughs> Jim Hussey. Oh, nice. A real hussy. Tommy Wisby... And Bob Welch.
1: I'm hoping there won't be a quiz later.
2: No, because Thank listen, I had, to, I had to write out a chart when I was doing <laughs> this, and I wish I were joking. Um, there's also a guy named Roger Corddry, okay, and he knew how to operate the train signals along the track. Oh, very so good. So that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, you got to get the train to stop. As I learned when you told me about Mr. Minor, that I thought that they were just jumping on the train while it was moving, <laughs> and then they got to figure out where they're going to jump. Yeah, so <laughs> apparently they have to stop these trains. Some um, even like
1: to sidetrack them.
2: Yeah, there you go. Well, Jimmy White, he was in charge of uncoupling train carriages. Oh, there you go. There it is. Boom, boom. That's his specialty. Um, then there's Ronnie Biggs.
1: <laughs> Good name. He's Ronnie a, Biggs. He's a
2: prison pal of Bruce's. Um, Ronnie connected them with a guy named Peter, who also was called Stan Agate. Peter. I don't know why they gave him that name, Stan, Stan agate. agate. Whatever. It's like,
1: kno- maybe it's like a you know Agate is a rock. So yeah. Maybe it's like you he's know, hard as a yeah. rock.
2: Who knows? Who cares?
1: It's like Bob Granite. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Bob Granite. So Stan Agate, he's a train engineer. He drove them, suckers. Whatever. (laughs) He's the prime guy for this. So they pick up more dudes, lots of rude dudes Mm -hmm. piling in. And on top of that, they get to 15 guys on the core heist team. There are associates out there who are helping with other logistical things. We have 15 guys. It's a lot of mouths to keep
1: silent. Uh Uh-huh.
2: So they figure, okay, we're going to rob the train on August 8th. 1963, it's the one going from Glasgow to London's Euston Station. Oh, I've been there. Mm Mm-hmm. So it leaves Glasgow, the Deer Green Place. That's literally what Glasgow means. By Deer the Green way. Place? Yeah, in Celtic. Huh. Deer Green Place. I'm
1: learning all kinds of stuff today. So, it's
2: so uh, educational today. So they leave in the middle of the night.
1: Mm-hmm. Woo woo.
2: <laughs> and uh, the midnight train from Glasgow. Um, the best place to stop the train would be at a signal light at Sears Crossing. And Zarin, that's between Leighton Buzzard and Cheddington.
1: Of course it and is. And that
2: sounds like I totally made that up.
1: Totally, right? Near uh, Hampton on the plane thing. <laughs>
2: and that is half a mile from Bridego Bridge. Ah, of Bridego, course. Bridego Bridge. Um, and, and that's fairly in, on the lane. And that's like 40-something miles north of London, 11 miles south of Bletchley, made famous by the World War II codebreakers yes. at Bletchley Park. Yeah. I just saw that on the map and I was like, Bletchley, I love that stuff. <laughs> Geography. Um, so the plan was to uncouple the engine and the HVP cars from the rest of the train and then ditch the 72 postal employees in the 10 other cars. Mm-hmm. Take the engine and the high-value cars down the line to Britigo Bridge, and then they're going to clean them out there. Hmm, so no. separate them out. Uh, the new gang, they needed a, a staging area, a hideout, this newly formed supergroup. So they buy a place called Leather Slade Farm. Again, I am not making these names wow, up. Wow,
1: Leather Slade Leather Farm. Leather Slade
2: Farm. And that's 27 miles from Britigo Bridge. It's like a nice brick farmhouse, got some you know good land around it. Um they figured that they could like make the cost of the farm back <laughs> obviously with all these millions. Okay. It so didn't cost them much. It's an operational investment. Yeah, and it was cheap. So they set up a fake army unit at the farm to disguise their vehicles. Okay. Yeah. They stockpiled supplies. Um, the heist was going to be on a Thursday at um, the very start of the day. And so they planned to, like, make it a long weekend. Mm-hmm. They missed the bank week holiday, so they're going to do their own. Um, and they're going to stay through Sunday so that um, they would be able to kind of, like, lay low and then disperse. But if you're going to stay that long, you know, they needed snacks. <laughs> They need stuff like that. So they stock up. Uh, before the heist, they went out to the signal light at Sears Crossing, and they covered up the green light with a glove. They shoved a glove right up in there. Okay. Just, just crammed a glove.
1: Out of all the right things, the, a glove. they just shoved a glove. <laughs> gro- <laughs> Why do you keep making that gesture? <laughs>
2: I just want you to understand they just shoved yeah. a glove. Oh, right I in got it. Okay. I'm, I'm
1: feeling yeah, it are now. Are we clear? We're clear? Yeah, that glove's up there. It's not yeah, coming it's, out. It's
2: pretty. It's, and they're pretty tight. Um, so then they get a big old ba- battery, a big one. A one. Okay. And they plug it into the red light so they control the red light. Oh, right. All right. They control the vertical. Um, <laughs> they go down the track, and then they stretch a huge white sheet across the rails mm-hmm. uh, to signal a stopping point, like... You know, stop here to get to Britigo Bridge. Okay. It's just like, you know, their own communication thing. Now they just wait. All they got to do is wait. Um, are you on the, it kind of looks like you're on the edge of your seat
1: right now. I'm probably going to fall soon, so. Okay.
2: Let's cool you off with some ads. Oh. Just get you fully back in the seat. When we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you how it went down on that fateful August night. Oh, I can't wait.
1: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by US News and World Report, and it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit SimplySafe.com/slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
2: Darren. yes when we left off our impromptu gang 15 guys I didn't do it they had everything prepped they not just rob a train they were going to steal a train a train filled with the equivalent of 65 million dollars today. <sighs> that amount just absolutely mind-blowing.
1: I can't honestly I cannot imagine what 65 million dollars mm-hmm. is like what it would be like just like any part of it. What would yeah. you do with that? How much would it weigh? Yeah, Where would you exactly. put it? I mean, I don't even I'm know. I'm going to
2: tell you. I'm going to tell you. Zaren. Yeah. Yo. I, I got to tell you something. Close your eyes. <gasps>
1: My eyes are closed.
2: Take a deep Damn. breath and picture it.
0: Yes.
2: It's three in the morning on August 8th, 1963. You aren't Zarin. No, I'm Nigel. You're David Whitby.
1: Darn it, I'm David <laughs> Whitby.
2: You're a 26-year-old crew member on the traveling post office locomotive. You're just chugging along down the West Coast mainline. You love your job. It's a great job. You take it very seriously. Best job I've ever had. Tonight, you're working with your pal, Jack Mills. Hey, my boy, Jack. He's 58, seasoned train conductor. Good old crack, Jack. You have learned so much from him. You've worked together on these long-haul mail runs. You're both from a town called Crewe in Cheshire. It's a railway town. You're train boys to the core. Oh yeah, me and slapback Jack. got that train life. Um, As you reach Sears Crossing, Jack mutters, right? Seems the red signal light is on. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. It should be completely smooth sailing in this stretch. Uh, he brings the giant locomotive to a stop. He tells you to get out and see what's what. So you have to call the signalman from the phone box at the light and get to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. You crunch along the gravel that runs alongside the rails. You reach the phone box, lift the receiver, and you see it: the phone line's been cut. Blimey. What you didn't know is that all the phone lines in the immediate vicinity had been cut you sigh in frustration head back toward the engine this is also puzzling
1: It's also puzzling <laughs>
2: just as you reach the engine put your hand on the rail to like climb the metal steps into the cab you hear a crunch behind you footfall in the gravel before you can turn around you're tackled by a masked figure. <clears throat> So other toughs dressed in hoods and blue jumpsuits, they come out of the woods and they climb into the engine from both sides. Jack tries to fight off the outlaws, but one pulls out a club, often referred to as a kosh and bangs him on the head. So he slumps down to the ground in a daze. Other members of the crew, they scurry, you know, in to uncouple the HVP cars from the rest of the train. Remember train operator Stan Aggett? Ah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Bob Gannett's brother. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's his time to shine. Uh, he takes helm of this mighty engine. He sits at the controls. He looks at the various knobs and levers. He sighs. Um, guys, you know how you picked me for your gang because I used to drive trains for a living? Well... The emphasis should have been on used to. I'm retired, and it looks like they've totally modernized everything since I've been last in the saddle. So we kind of need someone else to do this. Kay, thanks. Bye. So everyone looks around That darn Ronnie Biggs. He brought them a dud. And so Bruce orders Ronnie and Stan off the train and down the tracks to help unload the loot. They get demoted. Mm. So uh, they still need a conductor, though, right? Yeah. Um, They look down on the floor, pitiful Jack Mills, bleeding from the head in a daze. This guy just tried to defend his mighty steed. Look what you've done to Jackie. (laughs) Exactly. They order him up. You, David Whitby, you're laying low. You're crouched in the corner, trying to, like, maybe they don't see me anymore. Um, The criminal's watch is Jack Mills, valiant and brave. He guides the train down the track as instructed. So after this shorty version of the train pulled into another stop at Britigo Bridge, The robbers force their way into the HVP cars and they like rough up the supervisors. They get the staff under control really quickly because like they're not expecting this. Mm -hmm. They're just thinking. They're just at work. Yeah, they're at work. Like, why do we keep stopping? Whatever. Um, What else could they do? So all of them are forced to lie face down on the floor in the corner of one of the carriages. And then you and Jack handcuffed together and made to join them.
1: Together again. Day, Jackie.
2: Train boys. Um, so before you sit down, you look out the window and you see a huge truck, an Austin lodestar pulled up alongside the train. Two Land Rovers with identical plates, twinsies. <laughs> um, and then you're like, you're you're seeing like, okay, I kind of get why there are 15 guys here. This is a big operation. Um because they have the truck, right? This Austin Lodestar. The fifteen guys they line up and they form a human chain, moving the sacks of all the mail to from the carriage oh, to the yeah, truck. Smart. There are 128 bags in these two carriages, and these guys move 120 of them in a half hour. That's 2.5 tons of cash. That's a
1: lot. Oh, yeah. And also, (laughs) you're just constantly twisting, moving bag, moving bag. Yeah.
2: And so, but the thing is, it's heavy because it's mostly ones, fives, tens, ah. small bills. Um, So it takes them like 20, 30 minutes to to do this. Uh, They toss them in the back of the idling lodestar. Um, The last bag gets flung in the truck, and one of the robbers turns back into the carriage and yells, don't move for half an hour. (sighs) And They're like, like okay. okay. Everyone's checking their watch. Like, hold on, I got to get my stopwatch. Um, and with that truck, Land Rovers, they peel out into the night. They've just stolen two and a half million pounds. This mind-blowing fortune. Uh-huh. Um, they ramble along the road to Leather Slade Farm. They're listening to police. Bro-
1: <laughs> Sorry,
2: I know. Uh, they're listening to police broadcasts on the scanner. Uh-huh. Leather Slade Farm sounds like where a heavy metal band would live.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. one option. There <laughs> The other options. I know, I'm steering us that way. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to steer elsewhere.
2: So uh takes them 45 minutes to get to Leather Slade Farm. I'm just going to keep <laughs> saying it to drive you nuts. Um, they pull up, and they hear calls going out on the police radio okay. g- about Smart. their caper. I
1: like it. They got the police radio. Yeah,
2: we'll see that a postal worker on the train managed to flag down a passing train heading to Cheddington. Ah. And uh, the police announced what would become a famous line. Over their radio band.
1: Can you give it to me? Mm-hmm. With an accent? No. Damn.
2: A robbery has been committed, and you'll never believe it. They've stolen the train. <laughs> I did that in, like, my junior high production, drama Probably. production voice. <laughs> and they've... St- A robbery has been committed, and you'll never believe it. They've stolen the train. <laughs> and then my mom is in the back. Good job, honey. Oh, she's so good. And then she's like, oh, my God, she's terrible. (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, that comment that Mm -hmm. one of them made about, don't go anywhere for 30 minutes. That was a bad idea. Because one of the witnesses told the cops and then the cops were like, okay, so that means that they're probably within a 30 mile radius.
1: <laughs> right? They're like, oh, I know what this means. So, <laughs> so draw they, the
2: circle they on the map. drew the circle on the map. Now, um, it's also okay, it's like they have this area to search. It's pretty much mostly farmland. So it's not like, oh, there are a lot of hidey holes. Sure. Um, in like buildings and stuff. Um, it's about four thirty in the morning at this point. Those farm folk they're they're just getting up oh, and yeah, going about awake. their yeah, days. They're, they're yeah. milking
1: cows. They're clearing. And
2: these are good, honest folk who mm-hmm. want to help the cops. So, oh, um, they're not
1: down for this kind of hanky
2: stuff. No, 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 no. So as I said before, gang. They were going to hang out until Sunday, have given long, relaxing sure. weekend at plan. Leather Slade Farm. Yeah, they gotta... <laughs> and that's kind of a bad idea now. It's crap. Uh, so they were like, you know what? Let's leave tomorrow, Friday. Let's okay. get out of here. <laughs> so that whole witness information thing, that became a problem, too. Because you, David Whitby, you saw the truck and the two Land Rovers. With the matching, matching plates. plates right. And you passed that on to the cops. Of course you did. you
1: damn right, I did. Yikes for them. Right. I did, uh, it for, did it for Jackie. <laughs>
2: that's right. you got to keep him. Mind. Um, so they're working out this plan about how how are we gonna get out of this farm? They split up the haul. That's like first and foremost, let's let's divvy up this money. So they wound up doing 16 shares. They're gonna
1: take the time to count out tons of cash in uh-huh. small bills oh, yeah. and they're on the road. Well, run. that's
2: the whole point. They have to, if they're gonna scatter, they have to each take their little chunk.
1: I don't recommend they it. They
2: get about 150,000 pounds each. Okay. And that's you know, three and a half million a guy today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it's, a lot that's of a money. That's a big chunk of change. But it's also small bills. Yes. It's yeah, a, that's also a lot of a, weight. Yeah. Volume-wise. And then they divided the remaining 10,000 up into what they called drinks. Have you ever heard that term? No. It's like little bits for those who are the side associates who no, they, helped out. Is that a British crime term? I don't know. It, maybe Never it comes heard. from, like, getting their beaks wet. Hmm, I love sense. that phrase, it's by good the way. One. Get your beak wet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a couple of the gang, then they got rides out to pick up new cars okay. to like be able to come back and leave the farm. Um, other ones hung out, I don't know, rolled in the money or something. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I do know they had a game of Monopoly there, and they used their real cash to play the game.
1: Leather Slade Farm style. <laughs>
2: exactly. Um, now, uh, they're on the edge Because not only are the cops looking for them, but they start hearing these low-flying RAF planes. Oh wow! Oh my god! You guys—they called out the army (laughs) or the air force, whatever it
1: is. (laughs) AF, air force. Aren't they close to Bletchley?
2: Well, yeah. It was just—it wasn't part of a search. It was just routine training stuff, right? But that just got them all all, torqued up and they're "Ah." just—they're frazzled. Yeah. So then this guy named Mark shows up. (laughs)
1: I'm sorry. That's amazing. And, Mark, and then Mark arrives. And there's Mark. Hey, guys. It's Mark. Mark. Mark's got a couple guys with him. He's, they've brought vans. I like to believe that Mark is a really friendly Canadian. Well,
2: like, in every article I've read about this, Mark's name is in quotation marks. <laughs> and that's like, you know, because it's probably not his name. But it makes me laugh because it's so generic, yeah, right? Like, like, you have this thing about how you can get into any party
1: mm-hmm. if you just
2: say that Josh invited you. Yeah,
1: or Scott. Yeah. Josh or Scott. Mm-hmm. Like, they told me to come. Yeah. I'm with Scott. and I'm Josh.
2: Everyone knows some Josh's. Yeah. Mike.
1: Mike's a good one. Mike's a good one. Some parts of the country, Eric works.
2: Or in the South, Trey.
1: Trey. That, <laughs> that will get you south. in. Cody.
2: Cody. Those oh, yeah. two entry
1: points. Kayla will help a lot. These I think days. Mark's
2: like a like Mark's a dark
1: horse on this. Yeah. You know, like it's. A, I wouldn't use Mark or Gary. These are not names anymore. I'd be no. Pulling.
2: Well, I mean, then we get into generational things. Like now, like younger generations, it's going to be like Madison told me, <laughs> or Caitlin.
1: <laughs> I was with Brooklyn in Ireland, Brooklyn, and they Caitlin. said. Who do you know what was, here? What's Gwyneth, Manhattan. what's Gwyneth
2: Paltrow's kid egg? Apple. Apple. Yeah. There it
1: is. How do I know these things? Yeah, I didn't you know, want to know them. Secrets. I want to forget them.
2: Keep your secrets. Anyway, Mark. So Mark, <laughs> he's brought in by that original lawyer right. who connected the Ulsterman with all these clowns. Yeah. Mark's job is to come in and clean the place of oh, any trace of the gang. He's
1: Mr. Wolf, the Harvey mm-hmm. Keitel role.
2: And then he's supposed to set the whole place on fire.
1: <laughs> I like it. He's going to
2: burn down. Leather Slade Farm. Yes. So on Friday, the robbers, they get in their various vehicles. And much like the last scene in Ocean's Eleven, they like scatter off one by one into the night. Very
1: nice. Well played.
2: But let's go back. <laughs> At the train on Thursday morning, Chief Superintendent Malcolm F- F- Futrell.
1: Say that one more time.
2: <laughs> F- 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 Futrell. <laughs> Malcolm. Few, Few, Few.
1: I like the laser fight in the middle of his name. <laughs>
2: He play, later played a stormtrooper. <laughs> yes, I can yeah. see why. Uh, Chief Superintendent Malcolm Futrell <laughs> pew, 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 of the Buckinghamshire Police Criminal Investigation Department. Sure. Pew, pew, pew. He was on the case. He was there, Zarin. He looked around. Should at have the sent ca- out
1: the flying circus. Well, hold onto your pants.
2: Oh boy. He looked around at the chaos, and he's like, "I need Scotland Yard, and therefore I need the Flying Squad." Yeah. They're here, baby.
1: I don't think you'll ever hear me be excited about the arrival of police.
2: (laughs) The flying squad. This is like right before they go crooked, too. Like early (laughs) 60s. Remember, it was like late 60s, early 70s. They went all Serpico. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they start a grid search, they get right on it. Border exit points are alerted, like all the ports. Mm -hmm. Um, The postmaster offers a reward, quote, to the first person giving information leading to the apprehension and conviction of the persons responsible for the robbery. So, like, first in,
1: you get some money. Oh, not like free stamps for the rest of your life. They're like,
2: you get six books of stamps,
1: <laughs> and they're not the forever kind. And you get to pick.
2: He, he went on the radio and he said, the first person giving information <laughs> leading to the apprehension and conviction of the persons responsible for the robbery. <laughs> That's how he said it. Oh, I got to take a, a break thespian. and gather myself. Thank you so much. Uh, when we get back, I'm going to tell you just who that first person was. Yeah. all right Zaren, we're back those are some nice ads Whoo, tasty i love them do you love them they were fresh they're so good i mean where's my wallet it's just (laughs) what i needed so once upon a time there was a lonely shepherd Ah, uh,
1: yeah, I know the story. Go and, on.
2: And that shepherd was not just lonely, he was nosy. Mm. My kind of shepherd. Yes. Uh, he noticed that there's an awful lot of activity
1: Oh, around. this wasn't the guy with the technicolor coat. Uh, no, 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 no. Totally no, no, wrong no. story. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> next time, next episode. Um, there's a farm adjacent to him, mm-hmm. to, like the pasture that he uses. It's a farm called Leather Slade Farm. I know are farm. farm. um And so he's like, there's a lot of activity. This place has been quiet for a while.
1: Forever. And all of a sudden we got these military Forever. dudes and
2: so they don't the look like they're in the military. So there's the comings and the goings. So he calls the cops. Beep boop 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 beep. Um, the flying squad, they race over. They get on their on their little spaceships, <laughs> fly over. Um, they found something. <laughs> And that something was not the burned shell of a building. Oh, he didn't get to it? No. Generic Mark failed to burn the place down. Mark! In fact, generic Mark failed to clean it up. In quotes, Mark! <laughs> Mark! Um, he, the guy's already like in prep for Mark. Like, they didn't want the housekeeper to show up to too messy of a house. So they wiped (laughs) down their prints before
1: they left. They wanted to get back the deposit.
2: Yeah. But they're counting on Mark to, like, do his job. They're like, we just did, like, a surface clean. You come in with a heavy cleaning. (laughs) Um, I like to imagine that as the robbers, like, rolled out in Mm -hmm. their rides... Mark stood in the doorway of the farmhouse, like, wearing an apron and cleaning gloves. I got it, guys! Yeah, wearing, waving, like, the long farewell at them, like yeah. a
1: sailor's wife on the dock. <laughs> if he's got, like, one rubber, like, dishwashing glove yeah, and yeah an, exactly. and a white apron. And then the
2: last car, like, leaves the drive, and he rips off the apron and gloves, like, <laughs> F this, yeah. and scurries away. <laughs> Mark! Quote-unquote, Mark! Um, So that said, Flying Squad shows up. Place is just covered. It's just thick with evidence. What did they (laughs) find, Zarin'? evidence <laughs> evidence they found evidence they found food okay they found snacks food. the snacks you were talking about sleeping bags snacks
1: mm-hmm.
2: um the paper wrappers that go around stacks of cash oh yeah bands uh-huh,
1: the bands yeah
2: snacks they uh-huh. found more snacks. more snacks um they found empty mail bags oh. like that's incriminating <laughs> and then inside snack wrappers um they found registered mail with no money in it so like Someone was sending something like a, you know, a signed form. I'll send it registered mail so mm-hmm. we know you get it. Yeah. They're like, this is garbage. <laughs> um and they also found the a Monopoly game. They found the Monopoly game. Oh wow. And they found the huge truck <laughs> and the Land Rovers, but they had been sort of hastily painted yellow. I don't know if the bad guys did that or quote unquote Mark did that as <laughs> his one last act. He's just all oh, throw some yellow paint on him. Uh all three all three vehicles, though, and those are the vehicles identified mm-hmm. at the scene. So the CSI cats, they come in. They're, like, collecting from their little treasure trope. They're just, you know, they're drooling. It's so exciting. <laughs> so they're going
1: after, like, uh, fingerprints primarily because yeah, it's pre-DNA. Yeah,
2: totally. Um, they're like, oh, we got these guys in our crosshair. I could taste <laughs> it. Um, they find prints. Where did they find prints, Zarin?
1: Because um,
2: remember, they guys wiped everything down.
1: Were they f- were they filled in the petrol? They-
2: no. The Monopoly game, like uh-huh. the board, they didn't wipe down the board. Oh wow! And then a bottle of ketchup that was just oh, sitting there. that's a good one. So they were snacking it up, and they're like, "Someone's drinking ketchup." Mm-hmm. They found Someone's a.
1: Drinking ketchup. <laughs> you tried to slide that by. I did. I thought maybe you wouldn't yeah. notice. Oh. Um, one of your favorite cocktails. No, I noticed <laughs> ketchup. It's
2: like really thick tomato juice. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, it's a virgin Bloody Mary. Yeah, you just got to water it down. Just put a little celery in there? It's amazing. Yum, yummers. Um, Pearl onions? Unfortunately, or fortunately for our gang of thieves, um, the investigation starts to lose steam. Ah, they had prints, but they didn't have everyone's prints. And they had some names, but they didn't know where to find them. So they're Did just they like...
1: <laughs> they like, just, just, I don't know. It's a lot of guys. They were still all like
2: three days later, they're just standing in the yard like, at the farm. We
1: just started playing Monopoly. We just...
2: <laughs> they got sidetracked. Well, they go down all these rabbit holes, right? They went through a list of post office employees and traced their genealogy to see if they had any shared last names with any of their
1: suspects. That's the most British thing I've ever heard. So is. What we need to do is come up with a well, genealogy for everybody in this one, post office. One
2: guy, they traced... Him, his family back to Victorian Norwich. I knew
1: it. They're gonna like, oh, we got back to the Doomsday Book and, and stuff. <laughs>
2: they're like, oh, dead end. That's not really, literally. Um, <laughs> so then they flagged, They also were flagging large purchases by okay. postal employees. Like a year after this, some guy who worked in the HVP card uh-huh. tried to buy a car.
1: I was just going to guess.
2: And they were like, what are you doing? He's like, I've been saving up for, get out of here. I was traumatized. (laughs) They investigated him six ways from Sunday, uh, nothing. So they're not really getting a lot of leads, but then two informants come forward. This
1: was what I've been wondering. You got 15 guys, they got 15 friends who don't like them. Oh, yeah.
2: And so they're able to provide like a rough list of names and a lot of those matched up with the prints. So the head of the flying squad at the time was a guy named Ernie Millen. And he was ready to act.
1: Go on, Ernie. He was all
2: feeling funny inside. He Get so, on, big He decides to distribute pictures of the suspects to the press.
1: Ah, uh, not, like, not We're to his going friends and, and family. That's good. Well, first good he gave
2: them out, like, wallet size, <laughs> and then he had the portraits at home. <laughs> For the holidays. Exactly. Um... This was
1: already huge news, right? right I mean, yeah, this yeah. is
2: just driving everyone bonkers. Um, gigantic heist, dramatic. And was it called the
1: Great Train Robbery at the time? Like, with the, sure. was the press referring yeah. to it?
2: Yeah. So, um, next in line for the head of the Flying Squad was a guy named Tommy Butler.
1: Ah, uh, Tommy. And Tommy,
2: and he's like, "This is a really bad idea, guys. Don't put it in the. Don't put their pictures out there." It turned out to be correct—a bad idea because as soon as the photos made the paper, all the guys go underground immediately. Oh, because they're going to get recognized because everyone's reading about this. Huh. Tommy Butler then becomes head of the flies. <laughs> <laughs> good this on you, Tommy. He's all about fighting the crime. He's all about stopping the criming. Okay, <laughs> and he had really good nicknames. One day, Tommy.
1: Oh, because he could get it done in one yeah, day. He's like so quick to That's bust the perps. One. Yeah. one day,
2: Tommy, the Gray Fox,
1: not bad. That's Billy Miner's nickname. Is he
2: foxy. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, let's just say he was super.
2: Fo- they're like that guy is such a good detective and
1: a total. Pff, gray he's fox. really foxy.
2: <laughs> he's the Gray Fox, and then they called him Mister Flying Squad
1: because <laughs> Mr. they're like flying Jimmy squad. Flying Squad
2: over there. He's like, ah, oh, come on now. Uh, but he like lived and breathed. The the anti-crimings, um, confirmed bachelor who lived with his mom. Okay, but you know he was like he worked these crazy long hours. He was all about busting bad he guys. He was married
1: to the to the crime. He really fighting. was. I mean, he really was. Aaron, you can only give your heart to so many things.
2: Mm-hmm. There's only so much of you to go around yeah. when you're that foxy. Um, so he's all about busting. And he, he got it done. He did bust.
1: <laughs> he Eight, managed to bust. Good, uh-huh. job, good on you, Tommy.
2: Eight days after the robbery, they caught their first criminal. Eight days. Rob uh, Roger Cordry. Remember ah. that guy? He was the one in charge of messing with the train signals. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. the glove jammer. Yeah. Got so, it in there. I
1: can see that gesture yeah. again.
2: He He tried to pay his landlord three months rent at once in small bills. <laughs> now, she was the widow of a cop. So she immediately calls the police. <laughs> She's like, something is hinky. And then a few weeks later, that lawyer who connected the Ulsterman to the crooks, mm-hmm. he gets caught.
1: The lawyer gets popped. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he was already
2: sus. Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. And so, like, slowly but surely, the police nab six more. Yeah, the they crew. got him. They got the crew. Yeah. Eight of the core crew and a few hangers on, they stood trial in 1964. So the next year, media sensation. I bet. They had to move to a bigger venue to accommodate all these crowds. One of the cases was dismissed because of like fumbling with evidence and procedure and the I don't know, whatever. Okay. They and then the other seven get convicted and they got 30 years each.
1: Whoa. 30 years. For a, robbery. for a robbery, nobody got but hurt, but it was
2: like the magnitude of the robbery. Sure,
1: sure, but still, well, don't and, they have a standard?
2: Well, something I thought was interesting in a lot of the um, documentaries that I watched about this, they would mention like how bad they felt that they not bad, but that it was they realized it was such a bad thing to be stealing from the queen. Why? I, well, come on, dude. I know they're She's English, very, and I know they love the queen and all. She was a very special gal.
1: I get that. But would they have felt that, that way about, say, the king? Or is it sure. just her in particular? Sure, like the crown. So I the should crown. Say the crown. Yeah, but I they f-
2: said it with a sort of affection for the queen. It seemed
1: like the, that affection was mm-hmm. reserved for her in a way that we haven't seen. Yeah. Well, others. and I don't
2: think we're going to see it coming up. No. Okay, so Charlie Wilson. He's another one. The silent man. Uh, remember the bad, bad man. Oh, yeah. He gets a 30-year sentence, but he managed to escape from prison. Whew. Something
1: you'll like there. Charlie Wilson's personal
2: war. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I knew that was coming. I was so excited. Sorry. Three men busted in and got him out of prison in just three minutes. That sets some sort of record, Snap. right? Um, from there, he he goes to Paris and gets plastic surgery.
1: <laughs> good place so to good. do it. Yes.
2: Then he goes to Mexico. He's doing every cliche you can think of, <laughs> and then from there he goes to Quebec and he becomes like a pillar of the community. He's just involved in a bunch of stuff. Scotland Yard though eventually tracks him down, brings him back. He has to serve out the rest Get of his sentence. Out. Yeah. Um, then he goes back to criming after that, and he gets killed in a drug deal in Spain in
1: 1990. Ooh, in a bad drug deal. Yeah. Yeesh.
2: So he's, you know, he's up in years. And... Your
1: last moments are like, no, two for fives. <laughs> you know, that sucks. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, well, it, it, that's what happens. Um, so then, like Charlie, Ronnie Biggs, he also escaped from prison. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Ronnie Biggs that name sounds familiar.
2: He, well, he kind of snuck out with some other guys who had planned an escape together. He mm-hmm. just was like an escape stowaway. He's
1: like a shadow. Like, yeah. I'll just go he's with like, you guys.
2: Doo-doo-doo. Like a fair evader on the subway who slips in with a person. Anyway, <laughs> um, he's also, he wants to be like Charlie so much because he then goes to Paris and gets plastic surgery. Ooh, I la guess la. I'm with you fellas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and then after that he goes to australia and then goes to brazil and there's no extradition yep. treaty with brazil and, and at that time Britain. they're
1: a dictatorship if i believe
2: well they they can't give they can't so i'm saying they're not yeah. doing anything you're uh-huh. not getting no he's able to just go live his life and celebrate his journey out in the open
1: ah really living
2: his best life while he's there he produced tracks for the sex pistols what mhm that's amazing. And then when he's seventy-one, uh-huh. he goes back to England after he had a couple strokes. Like,
1: it's <laughs> <laughs> not funny. Why are you laughing? Then
2: the way I said it, a couple like you couple know strokes. Yeah, he he knocked, him knocked out. out God, couple got strokes, those and then done. He was All right, I'm heading home. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he knew he could be arrested, but then um, he said he wanted to quote walk into a Margate pub, Margate pub as an Englishman and buy a pint of bitter. And buy a pint of bitter.
1: We keep coming across this with the people who get away; they fake the death, that and they want home is calling them home, and they want mm-hmm. their sense of their life. And yeah. it's worth everything. Uh, exactly. It's really, something. So,
2: as soon as he gets off the plane, he's arrested. Of course, he doesn't even get a pint of bitter.
1: No, that um, ain't happening, man. Like, no. why? You just okay? You could have that sent to you. Yeah, they have. They you you know you robbed a mail card. Uh-huh. You know they ship things <laughs> totally.
2: So he they he goes back, serves out the rest of his sentence. He gets denied parole at one point mm. and then he gets compassionate release at the age of eighty. So because wow. he was on his last legs. Then we got Gordon Goody. Ah,
1: uh, Gordon. Gordon.
2: He was one of the original seven arrested. He got out of jail in 1975 when he was 46 years old. He
1: changed his name to Dave and opened a restaurant <laughs> with his friend Buster. Yes? Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, so before he goes in though, before he goes into jail. He gets this friend Mm -hmm. and has the friend like entrusts him with the riches.
1: Like he gets this friend, he (laughs) goes and he made a friend. He made a
2: friend. He went down (laughs) to the playground. (laughs) Uh, No, he gets a friend of his and is like, "I'm going to entrust you with my riches." Okay, and you know, you're in charge of my
1: affairs. I hope he tests that friendship first.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So then, um, the you know, he says like, "You gotta make a promise to me, and that friend loyal."
1: Really? Yeah. Total pinky swear promise. Oh, I totally. like it.
2: And Gordon gets out, and he's rich. Gordon's got cash. He moves to Spain and just cools out.
1: Everybody needs a friend like that.
2: Oh, I right? 2014, two years before he passed away, he participated in a documentary called A Tale of Two Thieves. It's pretty good. Hmm. Um, it's worth watching just for Gordon, because okay. he's such a character. Um, it tells his story, but the most important part is that he finally reveals the name of the Ulsterman.
1: Oh, Mm -hmm. can you give it to
2: me? The guy had never been caught or named. Gordon spills the beans that it was a Belfast-born postmaster named Patrick McKenna. Oh. Now what's funny in the documentary is that they have to call in all these like researchers and investigators because there are too many Patrick McKenna's <laughs> in the 32 <laughs> counties to narrow it down. So, but they solve the mystery. So they, you know.
1: Hi Patrick.
2: But what about the other guys you're asking me? I, I I can well, look uh, at Elizabeth, that pleading look in your eyes. What about the other guys? Good question. So, Buster Edwards he starts a restaurant <laughs> with his new friend, Dave, that he met uh, with our producer, Dave. So um, Buster Edwards, former sausage factory worker, mm-hmm. he took his family and ran off to Mexico. And he did eventually go back home a couple of years later. And guess what? Did 15 years. Couldn't <sighs> resist the siren call.
1: What, what is it? The food's not that good. The weather's not that it's great. It's It's just the it's sense of home. home. It's
2: amazing. So... He gets out, and he needs a job, so he starts selling flowers outside of Waterloo train station.
1: Like he's a character in Mary Poppins?
2: Yeah. He's like Tuppence. <laughs> um, there's a movie called Buster, and Phil Collins stars as Buster. Yeah, It's about him.
1: So I know what I'm doing this Buster weekend.
2: Buster had a tragic end, so we're just going to stop with that. All right. Um, Jimmy White, uh-huh. the train conscious um, uncoupler. Oh, okay. Uh, he was on the yeah, run around like England. Thank you. <laughs> he was one. on the run around England with his family, uh-huh. and he did like he worked really hard to blend in because he thought he was like the invisible guy. No, yeah. you know, no one could recognize him, but like people kept betraying him in all—not like turning him in, but just like taking his money or like doing him dirty in deals. And then, oh he yeah, gets, but you
1: can't go to the police.
2: Yeah, and then he gets recognized. 18 years, and then there's Bruce Reynolds, the mastermind.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He called the robbery his Sistine Chapel. And he hid out after the robbery waiting for a fake passport for a while. So
1: he did most of the work lying on his back.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> and then uh, he uh, hopped around on the, all these flights until he reached Mexico. On Always his fake Mexico. Passport. Yeah.
1: Go to Venezuela. Come He's,
2: on. Or Brazil. Yeah. I mean, come on. That guy got to hang out. Um, he starts calling himself Keith Clement Miller. So he gets a new name. His wife and kid... They join him in Mexico, and they live this, like, cool life. You I know, like P- it. Buster and Charlie come to visit him on their various times on the land. Like, what? <laughs> no, like his this friends come to see him. This is, like,
1: some Fast and Furious stuff. Yeah, and they're, so
2: they're having this really cool, like, high-flying lifestyle st- mm-hmm. in Mexico.
1: They meet me at the villa.
2: Yeah, it, it, lots of villas <laughs> and lots of, like, fruity drinks. Um, then the family, they move to Canada. Then they go back to England. Then they go to the south of France and then back to England again, which was... Where he Not got a caught. smart move. Go to Spain. He, well, he couldn't Kenya's resist his nice. old pals. So he was the last one to get caught, 1968. <sighs> and he did 10 years. <sighs> um, when he got out, he tried to go straight. But eventually he got back into money laundering, drug trafficking. He gets pinched for dealing speed, and he did three years in the 80s. Uh,
1: that's a tough one.
2: And then after that bust, he went legit as a media commentator, and then he wrote his autobiography. And his wife and son—
1: The best way to become an author.
2: Right. They stood by him all the whole time, right there with him, wife I and like son. I like him. Good loyalty. Good loyalty. Now, do you remember how I was talking about TV theme songs about four hours ago? Ah,
1: yes, yes. I, my answer is Rockford Files. You know which one's really good? Uh, no. The What's
2: theme the... from The Sopranos. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah, that's a great one. The
2: beat, the wailing harmonica. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got
1: myself a gun, man.
2: You know who played that wailing harmonica?
1: Uh, Little Walter.
2: It's the sound that's evocative of the underworld, the psychic pain, the hard yeah, living. A, totally. None other than Nick Reynolds, son of Bruce Reynolds. No way. Yes. He's a sculptor and a member of the group Alabama Three. Huh. And that's the band that's behind the band, yeah. this theme song for the Sopranos. He lived a wild life, wild family, and I think that we have Bruce Reynolds and this his Sistine Chapel train robbery to think. For the emotion and the feeling that his son Nick laid into that track.
1: That is amazing. So the legitimacy of like the, yeah, the coming crime coming in family, and then yeah. emerging in the music, and you're like, oh, that feels so authentic. Now we know is. why.
2: And you know, he's like the AJ. <laughs> 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 now it took me a long time to get back to theme songs, but I made a promise, I made you a got contract, us there. and I got you there.
1: Circle, completed. what's your
2: ridiculous takeaway?
1: That I should be involved in British crime. Yeah. Because apparently they need some help with some of this, like, hey, don't go back to England if you've gotten away with it. Everybody needs some help with my theory of, look, there's three points to a crime. You're missing the last step. Yeah, yeah. Plan. Commit the crime, get away with get the crime. With Everyone's it. like, yeah, I got away with it. I'm like, no, that's a, it's a constant. It's you got to keep a, exactly, getting away. It's, it's like, a continuum. It's like love. Every day you got to renew the love. Yep. Every day you got to get away again. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Well, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful <laughs> wrap up. <laughs> Committing,
1: a, getting away with a crime is like love. It's a lot like a successful marriage. Exactly.
2: That's a beautiful takeaway. And that is it for today. Well, thank you. Uh, if you find us, uh, it'll be online. <laughs> <laughs> at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram so remember everybody Zaren, Twitter is for the smarter discourse <laughs> and Instagram is where we put the photos for each episode show you what we're talking about and then the stories are for chuckles um, and sneak peeks um, if you want to email us try ridiculouscrime at gmail.com tune in next time Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by high-value packet distributor Dave Kusten. Research is by train coupler Marissa Brown. The theme song is by giant truck specialist Thomas Lee and cantankerous postal sorter Travis Dutton. Executive producers are reluctant expatriates Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Ridiculous
4: Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is
0: when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the
1: recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst and the Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sareb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the
4: documentary,
1: for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins.